Hey, hey, hey. I have no idea if this is working, but uh, this is KG of the KG and Fifthwood Wildcat and Dog podcast doing a little teaser on Facebook on our Facebook page. And I'm about to go to one of my two colleagues who was with us. The Wildcat is not here with us today, but I'm going to go to somebody that everybody knows and loves. You got to check out how he's dressed, too. Look at him. Look at him. Look at the man right there. It's Dr. Kenyatta Cavill right there. The sports professor. And let everybody know those two books right there we got on camera, sir. Oh, yes. One is a journal. I just had a publication, a new journal that came up, came out recently, 2016. Uh, I have an article in there really excited about. And the other one is a edited volume that I co-authored with three other authors uh, looking at the HBCU athletic experience, past, present, and persistence, where I actually wrote a chapter in it as well. And that's the book I use for my HBCU sports history class, 476 here. All right. Well, like I said, folks, this was just a tease. So I think we got to work some things out. But see how sharp Doc is dressed. So give you an idea how we're going to do on future KG with a Wildcat and Doc podcast. going to put it back to me real quick and see uh, me and my sharps dubbing herself here as I look. But seriously, we're going to get ready and do what we do audio style for the rest of the podcast. So tune in. Peace. All right, Doc. Nice tease. Uh, that was a nice little tease there. Well, I'm not even sure if we got any, any feedback on that, but that was nice. It was really easy. Maybe, maybe do a, get a little uh, selfie stick, whatever, the tripod, put the, put the phone in there. I've seen some media folks have uh, during the Rockets first round playoffs. Hmm. There are a little tripod stick that you can use and and put the phones in. Wondering, uh, lady had it. I think it's from the Bay Area. No, no actually, I'm, I'm going back even further. It was for Kobe Bryant's last game when he came and played the Rockets in April, and so there's a lot of LA media there. And she had a nice little setup. She had a, her a regular digital camera, but she had a setup with her phone and a case for the phone with a a tripod. Mm. For the phone in a case, and she had it situated and turned, and was filming Kobe on her wow. phone. So I was like, and she said it, it didn't cost too much money. I so I, I said, okay, so you, yeah. you never know what you what's Might out there. So it's high tech world. Keep it going. So well, you touched on the books right there. So let's go with what one of our uh, podcast listeners uh, tweeted to us four days ago. Uh, the article, Should Grambling State, Southern, and, and Other HBCUs Drop Out of D- Division One Football? Have at it. Yeah, I saw this article, and while a lot of people were concerned, some people upset, I was, in a lot of ways, not surprised that an article like this comes out. It's kind of par for the course over the last couple of years that you see these articles questioning HBCUs and whether they should operate at the Division One level. I thought there were some segments of some good points in there. And let me make sure I get this out. Um, Dr. Fritz Polite that is quoted in this article is a colleague of mine up there at Shenandoah University. is actually assistant dean. I believe he was recently named. So I'd like to say congratulations to him for the work he does and the friendship he has worked with me on other projects. But outside of that, one of the things that caught my eyes as I read through here, outside of some of the points in terms of him listing 
seven of the eight poorest public athletic departments in Division One are either HBCUs or majority black schools, um, which in a lot of ways just tells you the paradigm that we have in this country that uh, the color framework uh, still exists. And so it's not just that these institutions don't have a lot of money, but the framework of society doesn't provide the opportunity for that. But that's really of another discussion, but I thought it was important to at least point it out. But what also had major concerns to me is why would you compare the Power Five institutions to the HBCU institutions? I mean, anybody in their right mind knows that there's a large gap there, but because of the large gap, why is the focus on HBCU programs to leave Division One? And I was really curious why he did not point, at least in our region, for example, to the Southland Conference. Why wasn't the question that they should also consider moving down the division, uh, moving out of Division One? And the second part of my framework that I thought was odd in this article was he put in this framework obviously focusing on Gremlin and Southern and really didn't provide any uh, discourse for programs outside of those that are doing relatively well, like Texas Southern University, uh, in terms of the championships, 18 championships they've won in the SWAC over the last couple of years. How many? 18 championships. Um, to give you an example, Prairie View a couple of years ago won the All-Sports Trophy. Um, they're having a boon on campus in terms of rebuilding athletic facilities, a new stadium that will be up, uh, that will be on par with any stadium in this country in terms of amenities, uh, state of art in every way. Obviously, it will seat 15,000 with the ability to expand to thirty. Um, so that gives you some, a different framework in terms of what's going on at campus and not just including a football facility, recent uh, renovations and updates with the stand for the baseball field, a state-of-art track facility that the USA track team will actually use to train in this area. Uh, new softball and soccer facilities are going up. Uh, and the basketball arena has been retrofitted uh, to have all chairbacks. Uh, in terms of the facility renovations there. That's, you a, have that's a baby a, dome? Yes, the baby dome, famously, of many of us know in this area, as well as the fact that you have a state-of-art athletic facility that will come up uh, that will have all amenities, medical, sports medical as well, and, and with locker rooms. Um, you have uh, suites that will be available in that stadium. So that gives you one accord. And then you go to the opposite side of the conference in Alabama State, who already has a 25-plus 20 plus, thousand seat stadium that is state-of-the-art uh, with new baseball, softball facilities. They just won the softball tournament uh, this weekend, beating Texas Southern, as I talked about, fighting for their championship. Uh, they ran track. On the women's side, as Texas Southern won the men's side, uh, and then you have um, the fact that they'll be pushing for the baseball championship as they went undefeated. Uh, first time ever in the league that a team has went undefeated. The last team that has went close to that 
people may remember going back to Southern since we're talking about them in a lot of ways when Southern was 33-1, and and that was with Ricky Weeks. Uh, so Alabama State uh, has done a great job. Major leaguer, Ricky Weeks. Ricky Weeks, yes. Uh, all-star at some points in his career as well. They went 24-0, and and this is obviously after the conference has split in division and went to three-game series versus the four-game series of eight teams they had at that time. So that gives you a lot of framework, some teams. And now I hadn't even went into the MEAC with North Carolina A&T, the state-of-art stadium they have. They have the number one team right now in track and field in terms of the 100-meter relays, I believe it is, um, ranked number one now. Not just the fastest time, but ranked number one. Part of that is their time, the facilities they got going on there. Uh, Hampton University, what they've done with their basketball arena is second to none. Um, the state-of-art facilities that you have uh, at Bethune-Cookman in terms of the athletic facilities and some things that they're planning on doing, and that's a, a private institution that has been able to do wonders at this level. So I was curious to why the focus was on right now two of the programs that obviously are the weakest in regards, and a lot of that has to do with state appropriation when just about all Louisiana programs outside of LSU has struggled in terms of finance, and that was a direct reflection of what the government, state government, under uh, the previous governor did to education in that in that system. And obviously, when as we talk about when America catches a cold, you hear black folks talk about catching pneumonia in a lot of ways that happens to the institutions as well. Then... I didn't understand, as he talked about this Division One and moving down to the level, there was no framework of the HBCUs that currently exist at Division Two to see what type of success they've had at Division Two, and why do you suggest automatically dropping down when you're going to reduce scholarships that you're going to automatically have success, which was a framework, and I didn't see how he showed that that was automatically going to be the case. And so I'm still trying to understand what is the end game in all this? What was the framework and what did he put together to show that this is the right move other than the fact he just doesn't want HBCUs at the Division One level? Which is fine, but just say that if that's the case because you try to put the framework as if it is the best move for the HBCUs, not something that you just don't want to deal with HBCUs. And he talked about the money games, which we've all had concerns with the money games. But HBCUs are not the only programs that are doing the money games. So I still didn't understand the focus point on HBCUs versus unilaterally showing the difference in terms of those programs that are doing very well and those that are not, which don't just include HBCUs. So that was the concern there. Actually, what I would like to do is point out another article that I think people should consider that I thought a colleague of mine did a much better job in terms of creating a framework to have this discussion and showing the disparities of HBCUs in a framework that provided uh, equity and equality between programs of similar dynamics. This article is from the Out of Bounds magazine uh, titled In Division One Competition, You Get What You Pay For which in a lot of ways essentially is what the other article said, but I thought he wrote it in a better way because of where he framed it and the comparisons he made, I think, are a lot more important. This was done by uh, Dr. William 
Bouchard, he's the previous athletic director of Texas of Southern University. Let me say that again, of Southern University, and currently assistant uh, to the uh, a VP of the Chancellor and President of Southern University in terms of raising funds for the university as well as its athletic uh, department and sports. So again, the title of this article is in Division One Competition. You get what you pay for. So he looks at, in a lot of ways, the same framework. U.S. Today recently published its annual report, 2014-15 NCAA Division I Athletic Revenues and Expenses. He takes a cursory look, and he looks at the 21 HBCU programs, excluding Hampton University, Howard University, and Bethune-Cookman University, because they do not have to report their numbers. Hampton University and Bethune-Cookman are private institutions. Howard is a federal, but they get to have the designation of a private institution, so they don't have to report their their numbers uh, to the NCA uh, in that regard. One of the things he pointed out quickly was the fact that uh, the one-third of the 231 programs listed um, flagship institution in HBC states like Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, Virginia report revenues and expenses many times higher than HBCUs. Same thing the other guy said. But as he gets into the meat of this, he compares HBCUs to other FCS programs. Particularly, he looks at the regional programs in that same area. So for the SWAC, he looks at the Southland, and for the MEAC, he looks more at the Southern Conference. Those are regional FCS programs in a lot of ways would be what we would call in the academic paradigm peer institution. So he compares that number. And as he does this, he says Alabama State, which is 162 overall, leads the Southwestern Athletic Conference SWAC in attending in spending. And Alabama State wins more championships than other SWAC programs each year, which is the reason why they've won the all-SWAC championship. And I just told you about what SWAC did, I mean what Texas Southern did. Guess what? They were ranked number two in all overall sports trophy, winning number one in the women's last year. That will go to Alabama State this year, and they're fighting for the men's, which is, means they'll likely get the overall trophy for the SWAC, which again shows you that paradigm in terms of what you spend often dictates uh, championships. And Grambling and Southern are not spending that money. And part of the fact is they haven't taxed their students as much. That needs to be said uh, uh, to make sure that everybody understands that, as well as the fact that they haven't had a surplus of money to put in athletics because, as we said, state-wise, they've had a lot of revenue taken, just the general operation, so they had to pay for those things first. Then you go over to MEAC, while Norfolk State at 146 is listed as the highest spending program in the Eastern Athletic Conference. Have reason to believe that Hampton and Bethune Cookman spend more. Their tuition costs and salary for staff alone suggest as much, and they are perennial strong programs across the board. So if you look at who team, what teams, I should say, win championships, you can correlate that usually in terms of spending, and that's what he's making here. But I thought the great thing that he did with this program was put out there the NCAA's limited resource institutions, LRI as they call it, and again compare it. Uh, these public institutions to other peer public institutions at the FCS level. Um, and he talks about that actually uh, the expense side of both Southern and Southland conference teams for the SWAC and the MEAC is similar. But where he saw a difference was the average athletic department spending in HBC Division I programs sits just below $10 million. 
Uh, the Southern and Southland institutions spend $13 million, which is a 26.7% difference. He's, but he really went inside the numbers and did a great job and said that the money gains in terms of these institutions are very similar. Uh, the funding mechanism on the revenue side is very similar. The one gap that he showed that was significant was in terms of the money uh, we get by alumni and boosters putting into the programs. So he talked about that needing to increase uh, to shrink that deficit that you've seen between the two. So in a lot of ways, I thought this was a much better article that looked at the nuances, if you would, of HBCU programs operating at the Division I programs, similar to other Division I programs. Now, some people say, well, at the end of the day, just let the big five do their thing, which in a lot of ways already exist. Uh, you're Division I in all other sports, but the concern you have is, is while the Power Five said they would run away, I always, and you can go back to these podcasts and pull them up and listen, I said I just did not see that being the case because the Power Five did not want to lose the basketball money. One of the reasons that you have this new increase of the billion-dollar deal that we talked about two or three weeks ago is the fact that you have this tournament that has this yo-yo effect, particularly in the first couple of rounds, and then comes back usually at the end, the talented programs with the most revenue, and even more importantly, those programs that have the pedigree and historical framework no matter what the rankings are, tend uh, to come up and find their way uh, in the Final Four, in the final teams, i.e. Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, if you would. To some degree, uh, people may put up their Indiana and UCLA, even though it's been a while since they made that run. But you can see the historical framework of those teams that continue to have success as the sex. So in a lot of ways, it's even more less about money when you get to that level and just about the – fact of the brand name associated with historical powerful basketball programs just like you have in football with Alabama and so forth Michigan uh, Ohio State Texas if you want to go back a little bit Oklahoma uh, they struggle but time would suggest at some point that they'll probably find a way to move back into their normal place so those are the two articles, articles that I kind of wanted to go at since we had a question, and I just wanted to compare the framework to show you what I think is somebody just doing some sensationalism in a lot of ways versus somebody really trying to put something out there and look at significant points to educate people in such a way that they can make an informed decision in terms of their thoughts about Division One programs, uh, whichever way you decide to go. So let's... Let's get. I mean, let's ask you. Do you believe TSU, Southern, HBCUs should stay where they are and try to compete, or just, or just? I think that is a fair question when you ask it like that. You okay. know, all across. Yep. Uh, I mean, honestly, because we're going to get into a little bit further when I talk about U of H and Big Twelve and Power Five. Absolutely. So. Let's just start there and we'll build, go, we'll just lead into that in a few minutes. Sounds good. I would suggest that HBCUs should, in both the MEAC and SWAC conferences, since we're talking about Division One, and to some degree Tennessee State, that is an HBCUs housed in uh, a historically white college, meaning all the other co colleges in that conference, the OVC 
or historically white colleges mm-hmm. and universities, uh, with t- Tennessee State being the only HBCU. I think what you should see happening in these conferences is the normal platform of what we call in the academic arena churning, which means those programs that find the financial wherewithal to be at the top of the program should continue to look for moves that allow them to move in the best situation for their program at a given time, which means they should have the ability, in my estimation, to actually move up, to look at moving maybe into the Sun Belt in terms of the lower level of FBS programs, while those programs that continue to be at the bottom uh, in a lot of ways uh, valley consistently um, and to some degree Pine Bluff. And a lot of that has to do with enrollment size, to be frank, with you, uh, Delaware State, even though they spend a great deal of money, their enrollment is very low. But you'll see some programs that have struggled. Savannah State particularly should have the ability and look what's best in the program, but they may consider moving to a Division II level if there is a conference that fits not only geography but also culturally sure. there needs to be a fit in terms of what they want to do uh, for these programs and academically as well. So I think there should be a natural position where you have that. The only thing that is difficult for HBCUs when you talk about the cultural fit, there is not a HBCU conference that operates at the FBS level. So one thing would be maybe creating one if you don't want to join the Sun Belt or Conference UA, USA for those MEAC schools that are kind of on that side since that's the conference, I guess, closest uh, to that level in terms of the FBS. Some people may argue with that, and I understand that, but just giving a geographic framework is more of what I'm talking about. Uh, and, again, looking at Division two programs. See, one of the programs, problems you would have in a lot of ways, particularly with Texas, uh, some degree with Louisiana, is that there is no cultural fit for a Division two conference, uh, if you would, in this region. If you're talking about Mississippi on, you have the SIC, Southern Intercollegiate mm-hmm. Athletic Conference, that is based essentially in Alabama, Georgia, and now also has schools in Tennessee, um, South Carolina, Kentucky, as well as um, even Ohio, stretches up to Ohio. So there's some natural geographic fit with a cultural fit that exists. That doesn't happen. If you're going to do that, you would literally talking about in Texas, and maybe even Louisiana, you would talk about moving from Division One to NAI with the Gulf Coast Conference, if you're talking about an all-HBCU league that currently operates at the NAI level, or the Red River Athletic Conference, which has both HBCUs and HWCUs, historically white colleges right. and universities. And so that's a huge gap when you're talking about that. Oh, yeah. So I think that's other things that people don't think about uh, and which frustrates me is that you you really need to do your homework if you're going to come out and make this framework. I don't think there's anything wrong with making the question but I think if you don't provide the historical framework and really look at why teams move up and down and where do they go, I mean, just to say somebody get out of here, you know, it's like that old phrase you hear a lot of people say, you don't have to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. Right. Well, you at least telling them a framework where they got to go or don't have to go. 
If you're just telling people to leave, you're going to have a lot of people that have major problems with that because you're not really creating a framework where they're going to operate any better. And are you talking about the whole league? SWAC should leave? League, that's 10 different teams. Are all of them in the same position as Southern and Grambling at this point in time? Not to say that Grambling and Southern can't change either. Sure. So that that is my answer, and I know in a lot of ways it's complicated, but I think that's athletics at best in the world that we live in. Oh, we it's know simple, it's complicated. Yes, yes and no, I can't give you those type of answers. That's not how I do in consulting. That's not how I do in my classes. It's really looking at all the information and providing you. So I think the schools need to do what is best for those schools. And that is the natural platform of churning, moving up and down based on their time and to suggest a whole group of institutions should move. I think in a lot of ways, if you're not careful, uh, has a racial framework that would concern a lot of people. Thank you, sir. And for those Let's just go right to it. How can folks find you on the social media platforms and the World Wide Web? Yes, they can find me on the social media platform at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. No, that's quite long for some people, so let me break it down. D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. It's my name that I go by, middle name actually, but... Uh, and my last name, Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where you'll see me posting a lot of these uh, information that comes out there, a lot of these articles, sometimes my own thoughts, but a lot of times I just retweet, post information out there, and I like to really get into a dialogue or go into my research and, and put up a different framework so you have a chance to really go and explain it. A couple of words is not enough time to respond, if you would, uh, to an article. So oftentimes you'll see me wait until we get on these podcasts. Plus, it's a good business framework to be in. It keeps you listening in a lot of ways. So let me be honest with that as well. Uh, we also do a radio show uh, that I'm the lead host. That's Dr. Ville's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. You can catch it every Tuesday on uh, KKBQ 92.9, local radio station right here, and that is F FM HD2. Um, you can catch it on your TuneIn app, your phones if you would, still at the KCOH because it's in the KCOH Historic Studio. And if you're like a lot of people on the go and you cannot listen live from 6 to 7 Central Time, you can catch it on the podcast, and you can go to SoundCloud at Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. So you can get a lot of information right there. We really look for you forward. We believe we provide great information, particularly for those that are interested in the HBCUs as we respond to different articles out there. We have great interviews uh, with different officials at different levels. That's everything from coaches, historic interviews with people, uh, great stars of HBCUs to current administrators, um, as well as presidents, athletic directors, uh, administrators, as you said. We'll actually have Dr. Brashard scheduled to come on, not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, because he's in a conference this week uh, talking about some of the issues that he uh, brought up in the article. So we'll do that. We're looking at uh, doing interviews. You just recently heard news that the HBCU uh, Black College Football Hall of Fame, as they call it, 
well, find a new house and join the uh, uh, football professional football hall of fame. So I think that is some intriguing news, and we keep you updated on big things that's going on out there. Celebration Bowl. Recently, you just had the championships that we'll talk about tomorrow in terms of softball. On the softball side, it was Alabama State winning their first championship ever as they continue to set a new bar for athletics and how they're dominating the SWAT right now. In the MEAC, you had FAMU beating their rival, uh, Bethune-Cookman, so they'll be representing the MEAC in terms of softball championship. And this week, we have baseball, so we'll get into some highlights on baseball, the top four seeds. A lot of people are interested to see, can Alabama State get it done? They've had some great seasons. This is their third year in a row winning the East Division. This time in style, as I said, undefeated. But can they do it in the tournament? They have not won the tournament, and so they're looking to do that. And you have people out there, fans on both sides, Carlos, that says that they (laughs) cannot get it done. And so that'll be interesting to see, can they do that? And then you go to the West. And oddly enough, you had Arkansas Pine Bluff that has won the regular season three times. But this is the first time they get to go to the tournament after they were absent last year because of APR issues. Uh, They could not go. So they're looking to crash the door. Ranked top five, we talk about the uh, Black College Nine. You can go to .com, but we discussed that poll. I'm a voter in that poll as well as in the national women's and uh, men's basketball poll, if you would, as well as football polls that are out there in terms of the writers. Keep up with a lot of information. So not only do I do HBCU, but I do general sports as well as you hear on this podcast. But I focus uh, specifically uh, because a lot of people don't on HBCUs. And you, you do a great job of it, and I am Thank you. truly glad that uh, you were persistent. Didn't take too much arm twisting, but persistent in uh, asking to join our podcast what, three years ago now or so? Yeah, about that. time flies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I saw the work that you you all were doing. I thought it was a great platform. And when you see great people doing great things, it's hard not to want to join them. And so I'm glad that you opened up with open arms and you thought I brought something to the table. So that really makes me feel proud. Well, without a doubt, thank you for that for the, con- the kind words as well. A few days ago, today is the 16th, May 16th, right? Correct. So May 10th. And it's funny how this all seems to have quieted down in this span of five, four or five days. May 10th, <laughs> uh, the commercial appeal in Memphis. Title of the article, FedEx vows major Big 12 sponsorship as boost to University of Memphis bid. First paragraph of the article by Phil Stukenberg of the commercial appeal. FedEx is vowing to to sponsor a Big 12 conference football championship game and offer other incentives to bolster the University of Memphis's bid to become an expansion member of the Power 5 conference, company chairman Frederick W. Smith said Tuesday in confirming a national report. And that report was posted on ESPN.com earlier Tuesday saying that the University of Memphis vowed to make a $500 million investment in academic and athletic infrastructure during the next five years, an amount that President M. David Rudd has publicly touted, including in a December 2015 blog post, as already underway. 
the report compiled from documents sent to West Virginia President Gordon Gee, one of three members of the Big 12 Composition Committee, detailed FedEx's involvement. In a letter Smith wrote to Rudd in late February, Smith said FedEx would be willing to support the expansion bid by becoming a major sponsor of conference football and basketball, including sponsorship of a Big 12 football championship game. Rudd sent his letter and letter from Smith to Gee, two other members of the Big 12 Composition Committee, Oklahoma President David Bourne and Baylor President Ken Starr were copied on the documents. Doc, point blank, that, that sounds like trying to buy your way in, into a conference. Well, I mean. Right? I mean, that's, that's that, what it is. Oh, exactly yeah, what that's, it that's is. That's what it is. Let's not. I mean, you don't code. have much else to go by in terms of some people say out of the schools they have, you probably have one of the better media markets. But outside of that, in terms of uh, academics, tier one reputation, that's not quite there yet. Uh, basketball, you've had some success, but football, you haven't had any uh, in recent years. No major historical framework, so you don't have that on your side. So I'm not sure what else they are able to do but to kind of put money at the table. They're fortunate that they are in the same city as a billion-dollar organization uh, that is actually talking about essentially putting a billion dollars on the table. So there's a couple of things I would say about this is, one, I have to be honest. You would be crazy not to least look at this. Okay. You would be crazy not to least look at this. Now, I know that these individuals don't want to look like just money-hungry folks. but let's Like mercenaries? Sure. Yeah, but they are. So, right. So they can play the game, but we already know it. So you have to least. We know it. Yeah. We call a spade a spade. Yeah, you have to look at it. You know. Two, the other thing I would say is, how dare you? Just blatantly say, hey, we're going to do this and put the money on the table yeah. and get it done. And so that is crazy to me. Now, if I'm the American, uh, why are you willing to give this money to the Big 12? You're part of our conference. Give us, we got a handout. We can use that money. <laughs> yeah. Half a billion dollars goes a long way in the American. Yeah. You don't have to even spend that money. You, you know, have yeah. to do the bill, you just do the half of it. So, I mean, we'll make it work. But, and then the third thing I will say. That will probably frustrate a lot of people, but I will not stop. My framework is: you got all this money, and you tell me you don't want to pay the players. Yep. And that, and and Doc has said that, and we and Wildcat and I agree. We've hammered that point home for years, in writings, and videos, and audios, and these podcasts as well. But let me. It all ties in. That was that was May tenth. The ESPN dot com report. Get a little more information on May thirteenth saying that West Virginia President Gordon Gee flew to Houston in November to give a presentation on leading a university in a capital campaign. And while he was here at University of Houston, he met with U of H officials about Big 12 expansion. According to the itinerary outlining the visit, Gee met with President Houston President Rena Couture for more than an hour the morning of November 30th, then was taken on a tour of the athletic facilities by UH Athletic Director Hunter Urichek. And I, November 30th, I heard about this meeting because I think someone mentioned it, you know, told me about it in passing, put it on a message board, whatever. So I already knew about it. It wasn't, and the president may have even, you know, tweeted something about, you know, it was a pleasure speaking with West Virginia president, blah, 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 blah. So it was already out there to me. So when this came out last week, 
I was like, okay, well, didn't they already know this already? Mm-hmm. But whatever. I didn't write about it. I didn't follow up on it because it's not no longer my bailiwick of what I do. So I don't have that much time to do all that stuff like I used to right. 15, 20 years ago. But Couture followed up. Uh, do you finish up meeting with President Couture and three of U of H's regents, uh, Vice Chancellor Eloise Store and Camden Property Trust CEO Rick Campo, who reportedly played a major part in the city of Houston landing the 2017 Super Bowl? So you see U of H trying to lay out the red carpet to impress Big 12 and you know the President of West Virginia, etc. Keep in mind, for years ago, that West Virginia was part of the Big East, but U of H trying to join the Big East. Yes, and when all when many of us thought U of H was going to be in the Big East, West Virginia said, "Okay, we're going to go to the Big 12. So let me just throw that out there. So I'm not sure how much I trust West Virginia as far as I can throw West Virginia. Correct. Okay. So then we talk about you got U of H, Memphis throwing it out, making their bid. ESPN report says that Colorado State put this. I mean, their intentions known back in July. So you have all these schools doing all these things. This is all based on OU President David Bourne earlier in the year saying that the Big 12 needs to expand, needs to get a conference network, um, add two teams, etc. All those wonderful things. That was back, you know, January. We talked about that in previous podcasts. And this is what got the expansion ball rolling. Friday, May 13th, David Bourne sounded like, well... Maybe not. <laughs> this is after his board kind of came uh, and touched the, him on the, the show. The board of regents said, uh, uh, President Bourne, uh, you answered us. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, we don't we don't see any we're not sure. Yeah, we're not sure about of, ex, of expansion. Wow. So remember, you slow your slow your roll. You vote how what how what we say. Wow, that's what you do. So now. Uh, this quote from uh, CBSSports.com has quotes from President Warren saying, back in June, this is, I can go back even further, almost a year ago now, I think expansion is something we should strive for. But during the May 12th uh, Q&A with reporters, quote, we haven't even speculated, speculated on that. We are committed to the Big 12. We haven't even discussed the possibility of expansion. I think we kind of got ahead of ourselves. Somehow the speculation got out ahead of what the reality on the ground is. He added, I personally do not have any candidates at this point. So he was all gung-ho about it. And then the Board of Regents of OU said, well, we don't really see any point, (laughs) President Bourne, of expansion. So we're not really in favor of it. So you need to slow your roll, sir. This is a... First time in a while we've heard a board kind of step up and verbally show their power. Yes. Most of the time they stand behind the scenes and maybe bob and weed and push uh, what they actually want. And then they allow the presidents to go forward and deliver that message. But in a lot of ways, this was a surprise to a lot of people. Oh, it, it sure did. a lot of people off guard because um, you just don't see boards coming out loud. And I guess in this case, they had no choice because it was the opposite of what the president was doing. And it surprised a lot of people that he really didn't have the support of his board because usually presidents are strategic enough to, to make sure they have that support. And and that was May 9th when the board, when uh, 
Board of Regents Chairman Max Weitenhofer told CBS Sports. You talking about slamming on the brakes. Quote, I can tell you I'm not alone in trying to convince David Bourne to ditch Big 12 expansion. So we just want to let him know that we don't like it. That's a quote. <laughs> so, can you get I mean, any? you can't, <laughs> you can't get it clearer than that. <laughs> we, don't, we don't like it. Wow. So that came out, and U of H alums were, you know, I'm sure Memphis folks, and like I said, that was May 9th. So May 10th comes out, and Memphis, FedEx, all that, that money pledge. But May 13th, they were born and said, whoa, then maybe we don't think we need to expand. So let's hold, let's slow our roll a little bit and slow down. Bust my bubble talking about putting this big idea, let's just bring in 14. So, yeah. Memphis, Houston, now, UConn, and you guessed the fourth one, yeah. BYU. And there were, so May 12th, ESPN.com, you know, it's, obviously it's non. We're not actually college football games are being played right now, so it's kind of slow. You know, spring practice is over, so writers got to fill time. So expansion reporting is a way to fill time, and, and it gets clicks on the website. But this is a good Particularly article. Particularly when it becomes pretty active. Yes. You really get people going those. But this was a detailed article. This is a good article by ESPN's um, Jake Trotter. And basically it says... Um, What's the title of that article? This one is... List? Hurdles ahead if Big 12 pursues TV network. Once again, it's hurdles ahead if Big 12 pursues TV network. Later this month, the Big 12 presidents and chancellors will gather for the league's most crucial meeting in the past five years. Uh, the most complicated issue the league will debate in late May will be whether it will and whether it can pool its tier three media rights together to form a single conference entity. That may be a problem. And see, that is the problem that U of H alums and U of H Memphis folks, everybody who wants to join the Big 12, think of, oh, we got to expand, got to expand. Those tier three media rights, that's a big deal. So along with the ACC, the Big 12 is the only other Power 5 league that doesn't have a conference network. That's one of the primary reasons why OU President David Bourne said that the league, you know, he said this a year ago, right. is psychologically disadvantaged. Remember that? This the same guy who was told to pump the brakes a few days ago, <laughs> months ago, said the Big 12 is psychologically disadvantaged. So the Board of Regents said, you know, hold down. Hold, slow your roll. Slow down. Hold down. Okay. So, regarding the Big 12 network, the article talks about the Big 12, if you have somebody to look to as an example of what not to do, or maybe a cautionary tale, look out west to the Pac-12 with the Pac-12 network. In 2012, the league launched six regional networks, Pac-12 Arizona, Bay Area, Los Angeles, Mountain, Oregon, and Washington, to complicate to, to complement its national Pac-12 network. Unlike the Big Ten, which had partnered with Fox or the SEC would partner with ESPN to form that networks, the Pac-12 went it alone. On its own, the conference poured millions into the infrastructure to broadcast from each of its campuses, while also constructing a network headquarters in San Francisco. All the money, you know, we keep all the money in, in-house, we ain't got to pay nobody, blah, blah, blah. It sounds good in theory. Yes. In the short term, it worked. 
But over the long term, the network has cost the league dearly, both figuratively and literally. And it gets into some good numbers that I didn't even know about here. Without a network giant like Fox or ESPN backing it, the Pac-12 has struggled to gain traction in distribution. The Pac-12 remains unable to strike a deal with DirecTV, which has left it with only 12 million subscribers, approximately one-fifth the total subscribers of the Big Ten and SEC networks. And here's a key line here. The West Coast population base is massive, but the scarcity of public outcry has diminished pressure on DirecTV to carry the channels. Yeah, outside of the East Coast, which is why the ACC and Big Ten went there, the biggest markets are in the West. Right. Which is why you see these late-night games in terms of the West teams, uh, just to throw on a sidebar there in a lot of ways. But that is a major concern. But the uniqueness that they're having a problem is, instead of pulling everything in and getting a platform, all of them, they went to a regional. And they just don't have the ability to gain the appeal regionally because you may have uh, California people in a different region that that cannot catch California teams because this regional network is set up that way. In a lot of ways, them not being able to pull the trigger to get the four teams that was, according to some articles, literally 30 minutes away. Uh, from pulling off Texas, the, Oklahoma, etc. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, to me, in a lot of ways, is huge in regards to the regional package not working for the Pac-12. Because as this, this article touches on and Doc said just as well, there could be Arizona fans living in L.A. that will not see Arizona Wildcat games because either they don't get the Pac-12 Arizona or the national feed Pac-12 network in Los Angeles. So that's a problem. In a lot of ways, it's similar to what you see with the issue with the Longhorn Network. Although it has the major network with ESPN, it's still a lone individual in a superior state that it controls. But it can't get the direct TV deal and some of the cable networks. So it's struggling mightily because it just can't uh, convince these cable network subscriptions to bring them in. Right. But at least the Big 12... Its fans can watch almost every single game involving a Big 12 team. Absolutely. And that is a big difference. Here's a quote from the K-State Athletic Director, John Curry. For K-State, the last five years have brought unprecedented coverage through the Big 12's Tier 1 and 2 contracts with Fox and ESPN in football and basketball. That incredible distribution has helped us build our brand. End quote. According to USA Today, Kansas State produced more revenue, more Kansas State, more revenue that was last crazy. year than Pac-12 crazy. members Colorado, Great point. Oregon State, Utah, and Washington State. The Wildcats also bagged roughly $4 million last year in Tier 3 revenue from the K-State HDTV. That is more than double the paltry $1.4 million in TV revenue the Pac-12 distributed to its members. That's K-State. So that's something to keep in mind there. And obviously, the huge deal for the Big 12 to consider is the concept of a Big 12 network is a non-starter until the Big 12 addresses the $300 million burnt orange elephant in the room. 
<laughs> which is the Longhorn right. Network. That's it. Which pays the Longhorns, which pays Texas, an average of fifteen million dollars per year through two thousand thirty one. So that has, has to be addressed before any expansion talk is going to happen. But hell, even get rid of, out of the opening discussions. Silos, that's right. Because University of Texas is not stupid. We got fifteen million dollars coming in. Might be a in, lot of things. But you know, they may be arrogant and all kind of stuff. But they're not when it comes to money. They're not stupid. Correct. You're fifteen correct. million dollars a year we got coming in, guaranteed until twenty thirty one. So what are y'all gonna do for us? We're gonna get that money some way, somehow. We're getting that 50 million dollars from somebody. So, what are y'all gonna do about that? So, the way the Big 12 is right now, with their agreements with Time Warner Cable, IMG, and Fox, Kansas, West Virginia, and Oklahoma, all make more than six million dollars a year in the tier three revenue. Okay, so we had Kansas State with was it four million? Mm hmm. And then you got three more schools making six million. Both those numbers, I think, I know my math, is more than 1.4 million for sure. the Pac-12 schools. So why should we have a, a Big 12 network when we have some of our members right now making six million, four million in tier three media? Correct. Now, let's call let's tell, let's keep adding. And the, the problem truth. is, is you have to find a buyer. Yes. Is ESPN going to jump at another opportunity when they have some of the rights to the biggest Big 12 game? Are they going to start another network, especially when they see the problem going on with uh, Texas? They have a good thing going on with the SEC. Fox has a deal. They're trying to renegotiate with the Big 10. You do have CBS Sports Network, but are they ready to make this platform? Are they ready to put in that type of money? So what are your options in terms of a, a, a media network having the real interest of pooling their resources to start another network? In a lot of ways, this is the same issue that the Atlantic Coast Conference is having. They're going through this, too. They're doing it much more quietly. Well, there's been talk about a, an ACC network for years. Correct. But they're going back again. That's one of the big issues during their meetings this week. You haven't heard anything leaked out of it. And that's why I said in a lot of ways they're going about it in a different scenario. Uh, they already have the expansion, but they have some programs that have some major issues, particularly those that have to compete in a lot of ways with the ACC, I mean with the SEC brethren on this side. And then in the northern ACC, you have a lot of them having to deal with the Big Ten. So they want to make sure that they find a way to increase their revenues. They have a partnership with ESPN, but it's not for their own network. And so they're similarly in the same boat as the Pac-12 and the Big 12 in terms of not being able to get the revenue that you see in existence from the Big 10 and the SEC. And what this really boils down to in a lot of ways is the competitiveness that these three other Big uh, members of the Power Five, as we say, are looking at what's taking place in the SEC in the Big uh, Ten. They are scared to death, for lack of better words, that the revenue will get so big between what is going on between these two conferences of the Big Ten and the SEC versus the other three conferences, members of the Big Five, that they will lose their edge in terms of competition. 
uh, on the field, particularly in the sport of football, and to some degree basketball and their other revenue, uh, what we call Olympic sports, non-revenue sports as well. And to hammer it, to bring it on home, the uh, ESPN article says for the Big 12 schools like Texas, OU, Kansas, and West Virginia, those schools who make at least $6 million in the Tier 3 media rights, a Big 12 network would have to generate a collective payout in the ballpark of at least $80 million, provided the conference would share that revenue equally, which probably ain't going to happen because you got to get the Longhorns make sure they get their $15 million off the top. So how much would they need to generate? At least $80 million from the a network. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Because you're right. Texas has to get their money. And so you can get to the $6 million at the other schools and multiply that. But when you jump in, the average of what Texas, even if you provide them a percentage higher to get them at the level they're at now, you're talking about $80 million. And that's a lot People don't think of it as a lot, but that's a lot for a TV uh, network to decide to get into the conference. It's you know, and television business, and more and more you're seeing the cord cutters. People, I don't need to, I don't need satellite TV. I don't need to, I don't need to pay subscription fee for channels I don't watch. Right, you're seeing the bubble burst on that side. Not sports in general, but on right. that side in terms of the network broadcasting side. So those that got in early, SEC, uh, the Big Ten, are doing well, but the others are having some struggle. So this is something that you want to keep your eyes on because this is not going to go away, uh, this discussion, in a lot of ways, which brings up the question, will Texas and Oklahoma be in what we now know as the Big 12 in five years? More and more folks that I talk to say no. I believe that the Big 12 of the Power 5 conferences will be the one to implode before the others, before, you know, Pac-12 or the ACC. A secondary question, because some people have put the first one out there in some ways. But the second question I think is more intriguing. Do Texas and Oklahoma separate or do they stay together as they move to another conference. And see, that's, that's a, an unknown. Now, months ago, with all of the comments President Bourne was making, it sounded like Oklahoma was ready to go their separate ways. Leave Longhorns, Longhorns go wherever they want to go. We're going our separate ways. But last few days, the Board of Regents said, slow down, sir. So no, no to expansion. So we'll see if, if they have the same belief of wanting to stick with Texas, you know, and go to a, a similar conference or go to a different conference, you know, go to the SEC while the Longhorns go to the ACC or go to the Pac-12. We'll see if, what happens in the next five years. By 2021, though, we'll probably get a clear answer of that. I would put out there, I think for those that have studied this for a while now, people may think this is odd, particularly individuals that are not in this area have studied this, and even for those in this area might see it as a surprise. I think many people, if you listen to Oklahoma in Texas, Oklahoma, you would surely hear this a lot, that they see their rival as Texas 
as opposed to Oklahoma State, that may not surprise a lot of people. Um, but Texas fans, uh, for the longest, would tell you that they saw their biggest rival as Oklahoma versus A&M. Uh, from that position, not only from the fans' perspective, but from not just the president's, but more importantly, the board perspective, I think uh, people may not realize that Texas and Oklahoma are closer in terms of the ties uh, of being together than people may think or even want to admit. So I would suggest uh, if they move, they're going to move in tandem. Maybe not on the outside where people can see it and read it at that, but inside they work more as a tandem than not. And and you see that a lot more as you talk about the thing that uh, if this is going to work, that this would be a unanimous vote. And uh, President of Oklahoma said it much more clear that Texas would have to be made whole yes. in regards to that. So he understands that. And part of this is academics. Uh, of the schools that are essentially left outside of Kansas, which is basketball, but football is what drives the beast, uh, Texas academically is where Oklahoma essentially wants to go. So in a lot of ways they like the tie in terms of the research components they have with Texas more so than you see with Kansas or any other institution in the Big 12. Which is, and the University of Houston is raising their academic is, status. Is, is raising extremely fast and yes. high. Uh, but because of that, in a lot of ways, they're more similar and probably in a worse way, as you would know, of the Aggie, Texas A&M and Texas component. Uh, in which, in a lot of ways, causes a lot of discourse because the natural history that would may help put that together is not there. U of H came to the table and jumped on Texas in terms of the history quite early. So that history in terms of going back before the 60s, late 60s, 70s is not there. So those two components really hurt U of H in a lot of ways, uh, that the history is not there to help. Uh, them get into the Big 12 in terms of Texas and the fact that they're rising academically and athletically in terms of competition. And Texas doesn't want that uh, in terms of being in the same conference. Thank you, sir. And we have said that in previous podcasts that we do not see the Longhorns, University of Texas, inviting U of H to join the Big 12. Period. We have... Stood by that. Now, money-wise, it'd be great. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, yeah, question. Yeah. But let me throw this out there. Because, well, let me just, I'm going to back up a little bit. You you said it, you touched on it briefly there, that U of H is similar to Texas A&M in terms of growth, academics, etc. Doc, last week, some folks, some eyebrows were raised. When U of H announced three satellite camps in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Brilliant. In conjunction with what school would you guess they're partnering with to do these three satellite camps? Oklahoma? No, sir. Yeah, I would think Oklahoma would be a little Texas A&M. Yeah, okay. Texas A&M. That makes a lot of sense. Coach Herman and Coach Sumlin are going to... Uh, work together for these three football satellite camps in June. 
which got some alums thinking way above, you know, wishful thinking probably that the Aggies would have done this without the SEC approving it. Which, I would agree with you. You know, so, but the next step was. No. Let's see, there you go. The next no. step was, which means you're basically going to be invited to the no. SEC. So I think <laughs> if you want to, if the U of A fans want to hold on to something, which they deserve, because as as I've worked with you a lot more, my appreciation for U of H has grown quite a bit. And this is not to be a negative for U of H because they have a lot of reasons to be proud. But in terms of just researching a lot more of what U of H brings to the table, I've had a greater opportunity to expand on that knowledge in a way that I haven't ever since because of the partnership with you. But I think if U of H really wants to hold on to something, their best platform, in a lot of ways, and if you think about it, it matches when you go back even from a historical standpoint. It's really with the Pac-12. Yes. More from a basketball perspective, but it will help Pac-12 in terms of getting in this footprint. And from a football perspective, your best bet is really to leverage what you have and somehow get the president to consider going west. I know it's not as lucrative. But I think it would change in a lot of ways the paradigm of what's going on with that television contract, which would go up there. But you're going to have to find four, three other schools within this region that are powerful enough and similar enough to U of H to make that move where essentially the Pac-12 can create that four-tier market over here, go to 16 and do a lot of things with their TV market that would be advantageous to them. Uh, I think that's where... Uh, U of H needs to look not east. Uh, unfortunately, not where they are in terms of the Big Twelve, uh, Central, but west, my friends, is where you want to go. West, my friends, the Pac-12 uh, is the the part. Obviously, that's late night television, but in terms of getting the Power Five, you know, being able to groom and upstart that UCLA rivalry again. Uh, and basketball we can transition in terms of other sports and football. Uh, you're talking about similar markets in terms of huge markets, L.A., uh, in a lot of ways with Houston. You're talking about college campuses uh, Phoenix, in pro cities, too. Yes, yes. So in a lot of ways it's similar, and I think that's a position where I think you could get a lot of groundswell and, and really move forward with moving into a Power 5 conference. And I know that's a little bit off the radar. You've heard what was going to take place with Texas in a, in a lot of ways. But you also have the fact that the Pac-12 in a lot of ways has great academics. And yes. You're moving that way. And I know people kind of poo-poo that in terms of academics. But presidents, in a strange way, still want to leverage that. I mean, at the end of the day, they, they will make decisions that are not necessarily academic-driven. But when they can leverage the academic in a way, they really get excited. So in a lot of ways, I think the, to leverage what uh, U of H is doing academically as well where it's going athletically, I see a lot of fit in a lot of ways uh, with the Pac-12. Again, the biggest... Uh, framework is being able to find three other solid enough schools to go there with you. In some ways, it may be Memphis uh, in terms of that framework. Now you talk not academically about, though. No, no. But in terms of that money, yes, uh, that way be in a way because you're going to still need to get three other powers see the, within a central. See, the irony area. is, it might be easier and more feasible to get Rice 
to be one of those other three schools that rise to U of H, and then you then you could kind of get, get SMU Memphis and maybe Memphis and yeah. SMU because you'd get the money, and then you still have academics yeah. and some U of H football. Of those four, is obviously better than Rice is second best of those four football wise. Yeah, so two Tulane, you know, uh, yeah, U of H, academics is all that. Rice, I mean, it's there. SMU. There, there are some viable options yeah. along that track of academics and uh, large metropolitan smudge, yes. cities uh, that drive that create the central market that they're looking for. Right. So I, I personally, that's what I wanted for a while is the Pac-12. Oh, you always ahead. So, and there are some alums, the alums who hate University of Texas, who who who. who Hell, some of them yeah. taught me to hate the University of Texas. I can see why. So you know, old, older, older, older alums who you know helped rear me want nothing to do with the Big Twelve as long as the Longhorns are part of it, and Longhorns are the Big Twelve. So that's correct. So no they question. don't want anything to do with the Big Twelve because the Longhorns are in the Big Twelve. So th- those alums want Pac-12 is probably the first choice, and then. Pipe dreams this, about anything if else, that's you know. the case, this is another way to stick it to Texas because there's still a lot of deep-rooted people in Texas that still really want to be a part of Pac-12. Not not the fans, but I'm talking people that control uh, the purse strings in terms of academics and would, in a lot of ways, want to go to Pac-12. Go to the what would have been the Pac-16, right? And as I said, alluded to earlier, it was literally. You know, thirty minutes mm-hmm. of how close that deal was, and turn until ESPN came in in a lot of ways and saved the Pac-12. So, while a lot of people are, you know, frustrated within the Pac-12 with Texas, it was Texas and the ESPN deal that saved uh, the Big 12 because the Big 12 would not be in pains today because right. Texas, including Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And Texas Tech would have been gone. Yep. And adding to it, I'm going to wrap it up in a few minutes. This has been good. Um, other than joining the Pac-12, I'm not in favor of going to the Big 12 with with the Longhorns because of the Longhorns. I think if that happened. It might even speed up the process of Longhorns leaving sure. in the Big Twelve. I agree. So, money wise, is great. It's no brainer. Money wise, you know, obviously, if if in a perfect world, U of H, you take UT can get along and then make grow, grow the pie and all that. But this ain't the perfect. This is not a, a perfect world. This is reality. <laughs> yeah. I am of the opinion right now that U of H is in a good position, especially football wise. To stay in the American Athletic Conference, dominate the American Athletic Conference, and go to a New Year's Six Bowl every year, and maybe one out of five years be one of those four teams to be in the playoff. But at the very least, you're in a New Year's Six Bowl, which is a Peach Bowl, Cotton Bowl, Sugar Bowl, whatever it is the one in the rotation for that year. And you're making, you're splitting $13 million 
You're getting half of it, roughly, maybe 60% of it. Have breaking news. Okay. Breaking news, and I'll let you get right back to it. Texas Southern University Board of Regents named Dr. Austin Lane, Executive Vice Chancellor at Lone Star College, as the next Texas Southern University president. Outstanding. We can talk about the Maybe you can get uh, Dr. Lane on your show. Yeah, sure. You know. we'll, sure, we'll seek to do it. You know that. So He uh, is a relatively young man. Or at least young looking man, but from everything I can tell, is actually a relatively young man. Done some great work at Lone Star. Some people question coming from a junior college, but obviously he had all the right answers in the interview. And um, a lot of things about his background I think will do him well. So I actually support the measure at this point and will be on board to his leadership and look forward to what he brings to the table at Texas Southern University as we continue to move forward. So yeah, let me retweet, let me uh, retweet that. And but as I touched on, UVH goes to a near six bowl, win that. You're splitting thirteen million thirteen million dollars with your American Conference members, but you're getting at least half to maybe sixty percent of that. It'll be it's easier. No knock on the other teams in the American Athletic Conference, but it will be easier for U of H to win the American Athletic Conference than it would be to win in the Big 12 against Texas, Oklahoma, Baylor, TCU on a consistent basis with a hope of getting into that uh, Final Four playoff bowl, you know, championship playoff on a, on a regular basis. <laughs> So Cougs in the New Year's Six Bowl year in, year out. They're on TV year in, year out. They could be the University of Miami was in the 80s. Certainly. And ultimately, University of Miami was invited to join. Oh, things will change. So, yes. So that's that's the route I think UVA should go, yeah, you, know, you know, that route. And as long as – and Coach Herman has touched on it a few times. You know, we're, we're a group of one. You know, we're not the power five. We're not the group of five. We're a group of one. As long as we win the American Athletic Conference, we'll be okay. We're going to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, hey, I, I, I love it. So that is that is where I am right now. So I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review website, HoustonRoundBallReview.com, Houston Round Ball Review on Instagram and YouTube. We got. Um, Four teams left in the NBA, two in the East, two in the West. Game one of the Western Conference Finals is taking place right now. I'm not going to give you a score, but, Doc, I just won. We got Cat. We got uh, Golden State, Oklahoma City. I will say that the game, it looks like it's closing, tightening back up, closing at the first half as we go through our podcast as the, the um, Golden State Warriors had stretched the lead out in the middle of the second. So, should be an interesting series. Give me a, I'm give me a prediction. With, I'm going to go with Golden State. I'm going to have to go with, and how many with Chalk. Um, I think I want it to be interesting. So I'm going to say six. Okay, good. I'm glad you did that because I'm going to say Oklahoma City in six. Wow. I didn't, we didn't have a podcast, but I, not, I, I had Oklahoma City beating the Spurs in six. Yeah, I, you, you text some stuff out. So, I remember that. So I wouldn't have called that one. I mean, 
you started to see. I was, I was kind of after game four. afraid. I was after yeah, game one, but whooping, but, you know. But yeah, but kudos to you for calling it because you saw the uh, talent that Oklahoma State had in the top tier and the speed that they played at. Uh, they started playing defense. They started playing wing basketball. Yeah. No now on the East, I got Cavs in five. Um, Raptors may get get a game, but Cavs in five. So. I just don't see the Raptors having enough to uh, enough weapons to really threaten Cleveland in a seven-game series. Thoughts on that? We gonna pick the Raptors to win two games? No, I can't do it. Okay, I can't do it. I think it'll go five. I don't think they'll sweep them, but um, I don't the, predict. I don't predict sweeps. I just don't. Yeah, uh, logically, that, you know, I think there's a chance yeah. that they can sweep them. Yeah, uh, more more than. Not, but I'm going to go five. I think uh, Raptors found a way to get one, uh, one of their two at home. Um, but outside of that, I think uh, you'll see a rematch of last year's series, which in a lot of ways is what people want. And it Both teams be, being healthy. Yes, and that will be the interesting thing. Yes. Both teams will be healthy, and I'll make you wait on that prediction. Oh, yes, because that's what we have other podcasts for is, <laughs> is to uh, – have little teasers like that. And I want to touch on this so let Doc know. I posted our uh, little Facebook Live on our page, KG, Fifth World Wildcat and Doc uh, Facebook page. It wasn't as long as we recorded. So I had to figure out why that was. Maybe it's because of our internet connection or whatever. But it was only about 25 seconds. So some of our comments were cut. So if anybody watches it, you may not see everything you mentioned or I mean, you may not have seen anything that I said, but that's okay. Yeah. It was a a first time thing. It was trial and error. See how it goes. But we're gonna do it again, certainly. And it's it's gonna be longer than twenty five seconds. <laughs> so so don't worry about that. It's, it's gonna be another way for us to uh, get our information out there to our supporters. Right now, listeners, but hopefully at some point, viewers as well. So the KG. Fifth with Wildcat and Doc podcast are going to uh, continue growing and we're going to continue um, sharing our thoughts and insights with you. Thank you very much. Oh, I also want to say this. The Wildcat is uh, taking care of himself. So don't worry about that. He's taking care of himself. But he and I have already been uh, included in the upcoming August NCA mock selection exercise for women's basketball. That's already been it's already official. We got the the uh, go ahead over the weekend. I sent him my itinerary to the NC office this morning. Wildcat's working working on his as well, so that's already done. So I will be, I think, the first person to have to participate in both in one calendar year: the NCA men's mock selection, which I did in February, and the NCA women's mock selection, which will be in August. So I think I'll be the first person to participate in both in one year so that um, i'm proud of that accomplishment and been, been doing it for a long be. time so should be. and let the listeners know that uh doc wildcat and i have already made plans for the 2017 women's final four which is going to be in dallas yeah so that's already back out so that's already that's already been taken care of so we'll Thank be doing know. that so we, we'll be <laughs> and we're going to work on this for true Doing a podcast in Dallas, maybe even doing some some video live. So we got some stuff already planned for the upcoming season. 
Oh, sir, if you don't mind, if you, if you let everybody know, where are you going in a few days, sir? Oh, yes, I'll be heading to Trinidad and Tobago uh, for the Sports Studies in Higher Education uh, Interdisciplinary um, Conference in Trinidad. I'll be leaving uh, in a couple of days. So I'll spend four or five days down there presenting research. I'm also working on a study abroad for our sports management program. Uh, we're not only looking at Trinidad and Tobago, but we're also looking at um, the Bahamas as well as Spain for the next upcoming year, uh, most likely um, the spring and summer. One of the classes we're even looking at where students can get credit for doing a study abroad uh, in our special topics class. Will they be able to get some credit by, for some of the work they're doing? Uh, the Spain will be three weeks, and so if we do Trinidad Tobago, we're looking at two, three weeks. Um, the Bahamas would be a shorter trip. Uh, we're also looking at what we call a study away program uh, with the University of Virgin Islands as uh, the only HBCU outside of the continental U.S., as well as some study abroad programs this, as early as this fall where we look at uh, partnering with some HBCU classics throughout the country, mainly in this southern region, um, such as the Magic City Classics, Southern Heritage Classic, State Fair Classic right here in Dallas in our backyard, um, as well as the Magic City Classic, as I said, which is in Birmingham, for those that may not know. Southern Heritage Classics, I mentioned, that's in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, Bayou Classic, which a lot of people are aware of in New Orleans. And so we're looking at some of those things. And then the state of uh, the uh, Florida Classic, which is in Orlando, as well as possibly and more likely the Celebration Bowl, which is in Atlanta and will again kick off the bowl season, which is the champion of the MEAC versus the champion of the SWAC. Great game last year, a lot of TV ratings. I covered the game. So I plan to be back for that. Have a great relation. So as you're talking about getting the president on, we've had John Grant, the executive director of the celebration on, and he's kept us updated on a lot of things. So we plan to have him back on our show and to provide some information about HBCU, what's going on there. But the last thing I will add is they had some big announcements. One I told you about is the Celebration Bowl kicking off uh, the bowl season again this year. And another one was uh, in regards to the NFL. Partnering, partnering with the MEAC and SWAC in two different areas. First one would be with coaches and players uh, finding ways to get on the business side. And so they're planning to have a summit during the week of the Celebration Bowl and partnering in a lot of ways with the Celebration Bowl such that the coaches from those particular teams there as well as other coaches within the league and administrators have a chance uh, to talk and potentially do internships and land career jobs with the NFL. The other part, which is exciting, which we plan to take part in, is they will also have a different session that is geared to sport management majors of the SWAC and MEAC institutions. So we're really excited about that as Texas Southern uh, has a lot of good things going on in regards of our sports management program. We are ready to take to the board in a lot of ways uh, the master's program. So one of the first places you'll hear that is right here. We're looking at launching that, 
particularly maybe as soon as the spring. So keep your ears on that. Everything goes well. We'll look forward for that. So that's an area. But as we talk about the sports management program here, we're really excited about uh, being one of 26 HBCU programs that have some type of sports management program. Um, and that's everything from athletic association to recreation and sports. Uh, looking at a lot of ideas and those things, we also are um, one of seven Division One HBCU programs with it. Uh, we're two of the ten uh, SWAC members with the sport management program. We are the only HBCU program in the state of Texas with a sport management program. We're one of two in the city of Houston with a HBCU, I mean with a BS in sports management program. So we're really excited with the things that we're bringing to the table. And a long way to go, and I think sometimes you put it out there and people will hopefully hold my feet to the fire. And I want to become uh, the first HBCU program that offers a Ph.D. in sport management. Uh, with some concentration in some areas as well. So we book big things to come. Um, I'm happy with what's going on at Texas Southern University. So as long as that exists, I plan to be right here. Uh, plan to work on some projects where I will sneak away back to Atlanta and looking at doing some things with Clark Atlanta University. So we're on our way. We've looked at also New Orleans with Dillard uh, that wants to look at some sport management type of things. So we're looking at a certificate program. So we're going to grow this program, and uh, we're going to do what needs to be done to give um, people in general opportunity, but specifically minorities and obviously HBCU graduate African Americans, the opportunity to look at the sporting industry from a business perspective by earning a Bachelor of Science in Sport Management and soon to be a Master's of Science in Sports Studies and Sport Leadership. Folks, that's why he's part of these podcasts. So kudos to you, sir. Outstanding and keep up the great work. Going to wrap it up. It's a great way to wrap up a, a very good podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud. Find us on iTunes. We are on the uh, podcast directory as well. Thank you to one of our listeners who listened to us the next day. Of our, once a podcast appear in his uh, podcast feed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the purchase of the T-shirts for your for your two sons and uh hopefully sir you will join us uh for steaks as well that will be Certainly. treated by the wildcat so uh <laughs> don't forget about that i'm gonna wrap it up as i always do in conclusion be true be cool and do more <laughs>